Sirius XM and Augusta National present The Masters Show. And he puts out for a 68. Ben's best round of the four-day tournament. Hogan wins his first Masters. There's your champion, Fuzzy Zeller, 1979 Masters champion. There it is, as grand as it gets. The Tiger has his slam. Masters history. Conversations with past champions, previewing this year's tournament and celebrating the unique traditions of the Masters. Bernard, when we put this jacket on you, you become a member of Augusta National Golf Club. You're invited to play in this tournament for the rest of your life. Okay. The Masters Show with your host, Taylor Zarzer, begins right now on Sirius XM. Welcome to this February the 8th edition of the Masters Show on Sirius XM. I'm Taylor Zarzer. Eight weeks from now, it will be Masters Week, and we will be back at Augusta National Golf Club. I cannot wait for that. Well, the field right now is at 85 players. That's the maximum amount that it could be. We could have as many as 20 past champions in the field. Although there is some wonder as to whether Trevor Immelman, who did not compete in November, will participate in April or simply stick to television broadcasting as he did this past November. Angel Cabrera did not play in the November Masters either. So we could have as small a field as 83 or the maximum at this moment could be 85. I was prepared today to tell you that with the field was going to go to 86 players, especially when James Hahn made the turn yesterday in Phoenix, and at least for a brief moment, he carried a three-shot lead going into the 11th hole. James bogeyed 11, 13, 15, and 17, limping to the finish and finishing in 10th place, four shots behind Brooks Kepka who, of course, was already qualified in a number of ways to play in the 2021 Masters. In fact, he had already qualified four different ways. He's now qualified in a fifth way. The ways he's qualified is he is a champion of the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship in the last five years. In fact, he's won both of those events twice. He finished in the top 12 in November's Masters, and he finished in the top 50 in the official world golf rankings at the end of the calendar year. So now he is in a fifth way as a winner on the PGA Tour within the last calendar year. It is Brooks's first victory in quite some time, though, just his eighth victory uh, on the PGA Tour. And it is his first since 2019 when he won in Memphis, Tennessee for the WGC. So we're going back over 18 months since Brooks's last victory, and congratulations to him on winning in Phoenix for a second time yesterday. But there were some other possibilities in that event. K.H. Lee, who is not qualified for the Masters, he ended up finishing tied for second a couple of different times. He was tied for the lead yesterday. Xander Shoffley's cat, he's qualified in a number of ways. Many looked at it as his opportunity to win. It didn't happen. Carlos Ortiz, he was in the fight. He ends up finishing tied for fourth. Ortiz is in the Masters by winning in Houston 
Although it was the week before the 2020 Masters in November, it did qualify that victory, beating Dustin Johnson, qualified him for the 2021 Masters. But there were a couple other people that had a chance in Phoenix. What about 53-year-old Steve Stricker hitting every single fairway on Sunday? He had the lead at one point uh, through 36 holes and ends up finishing tied for fourth. What a terrific performance by this year's Ryder Cup captain. Strick will need a win somewhere if he's going to play in the 2021 Masters. Jordan Spieth, the 2015 Masters champion, played beautifully for four days. He finished tied for fourth. The 61 on Saturday was so fun to watch. It might surprise you that Spieth is only qualified for the Masters by being a past Masters champion. He's not in the top 50 in the world. He didn't make the Tour Championship. He hasn't won a tournament in the last year. In fact, he hasn't won one in the last four. He didn't finish in the top 12 in last year's Masters, and he's he didn't finish in the top four in the other majors. He hasn't won another major uh, in the last five years. You, you or Excuse me, he, of course, has won the Open Championship, uh, back in 2017, but that is actually the only other way that he's qualified for this event. But there's nothing else on the board for Jordan, and um, so he's obviously in the event, but it's it's still a little surprising to see uh, Jordan slip to this point. Let's hope he is on his way back. But Spieth was right there. Andrew Putnam didn't make a bogey over 72 holes, shooting 65 yesterday and finishing tied for 7th. Putnam still needs to try to qualify for the Masters. Michael Neesmith, the first-round leader, finished tied for seventh. He's looking for a way to qualify. So there were a lot of different possibilities, but ultimately it was Kepka who wins in Phoenix. This week they'll go to Pebble Beach. This was the place that Nick Taylor qualified for the 2020 Masters last year. We'll see if someone that's not already in the field is able to do that this week. Remember... At the end of March, March the 27th to be exact, there is a new category that is used, and that is category 19 in the Masters qualifications, and that is if you're in the top 50, by March the 27th, you are invited to the Masters. Even if you weren't in the top 50 at the end of the calendar year, you have three months to get in the top 50. Will Zalatoris got in the top 50. He is now number 49 in the world by way of finishing 17th in Phoenix yesterday. Zalatoris is now in the top 50. So if Will can stay there, he will qualify for his first trip to Augusta National Golf Club playing in the 2021 Masters. What an achievement that would be for the 24-year-old from San Francisco, California, played his collegiate golf at Wake Forest and now playing so beautifully out there professionally. So he's in the top 50. He's one of the players that could get in. Another is Robert McIntyre from Scotland, is now 44th in the world. He was 52nd going into two week, the, the event two weeks ago in Dubai, the Omega Dubai Desert Classic, where he finished fourth, and he went from 52nd to 44th in the world, and that's where he currently is. So Robert McIntyre and Will Zalatoris have played their way in at the moment. They need to stay there if they are going to play in the Masters. There are some others that are right outside the top 50 that could get in. 
like an Andy Sullivan, who is 55th in the world. Kevin Streelman is down at number 59. And we keep our eyes on Ricky Fowler. After missing the cut in Phoenix, Fowler falls to 63rd in the official World Golf Rankings. He has played in the last 40 major championships. That streak is in jeopardy as he is currently not qualified for the 2021 Masters. We're going to ask Brian Katrick more about uh, what the field looks like at the moment coming up in just a few minutes. And then later on, Scott Michaud, longtime writer for the Augusta Chronicle, who's done such a fabulous job of detailing who's in the Masters field and all the traditions that make up that event. He now works for Global Golf Post, and Scott will be on the show at the bottom of the hour. And then later in the program, we'll talk about some of my favorite traditions, and we'll look back at another anniversary this year, as we like to do that towards the end of the show. So those are just some of the things that we're thinking about. I can't wait when it's Masters week. Some of the things that we'll love about that week start actually before quote-unquote Masters week, and that is the culmination of the Augusta National Women's Amateur, which will take place at Augusta National on Saturday for the final round. It'll begin over at Champions Retreat just down the road about 15 minutes from Augusta National and finish that Saturday before the Masters at Augusta National Golf Club. Two years ago, Jennifer Cupcho of Wake Forest won the event. They were unable to have it last year, but on Saturday, April the 3rd, it'll be so great to have that back. And then another event that I know all of you have come to love will return on Sunday, April the 4th, and that's the drive, chip, and putt with all of the children from the ages of 7, 8, all the way up to 15. To see all of them compete is so fun watching them Hit those long drives, and chip and putt is terrific. And the past champions like Bubba Watson that come out there to watch it is a cool event to witness. That'll be on Sunday, April the 4th, before Masters Week starts on Monday, April the 5th through Sunday, April the 11th. We are on our way, my friends. We have two events left in California, Pebble Beach this week, and then Riviera next week. And then we make our way to Florida on the PGA Tour as they'll go through the Sunshine State and play all of those events in Florida up into the uh, event in San Antonio, or Austin, excuse me, will precede that. They'll play in Austin and then in San Antonio and then on to Augusta National Golf Club for the 2021 Masters. For more on the field, we'll bring in Brian Katrick. The voice of the 2021 Masters will join us coming up in just a moment on the Masters Show on Sirius XM. Now back to the Masters Show on Sirius XM. And now here it is, the Matador. Two years in a tail, Sammy Ballesteros. The winner of the 44th Masters. It's great to hear Vin Scully's voice when he worked for CBS many years ago calling Seve Ballesteros one of his two Masters victories there. Man, how about that? 41 and 38 years ago, Seve's two victories. Brian Katrick is the voice of the 2021 Masters, and he joins us on the Masters show each week. BK, how are you? 
Well, I am great, Taylor, and yeah, we're getting old. That's from the we're getting old category, but Vin Scully's voice never gets old, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know that many people remember this because it was it was it was thirty eight years ago. The second time, Sevy won. Sevy won on a Monday. Brian Katrick, back in nineteen eighty three. I know that. We will do move heaven and earth <laughs> to finish the tournament on a Sunday, and most uh, the best example of that probably or biggest example would be Tiger's mid afternoon win in 2019. Although we had a mid afternoon finish due to daylight in November of uh, 2020, but here's to a um, I don't know six six thirty seven o'clock finish in April. You good with that? On a I Sunday. Sure, I am certainly good with that. You know I am. And you know the funny a funny point about that 2019 finish. There's just there's some karma, you know, there's there's some magic to to Master Sunday. And you remember Tiger's finish, obviously as you just referenced playing early, the the ratings for the re-air were just as strong as <laughs> the the original airing. But you remember they, they did the Butler Cabin Ceremony, and the announcement was made there would not be an outdoor green jacket presentation because the storms were coming. Mm-hmm. And yet it wasn't necessarily impromptu, but they got done with Butler Cabin. The storms hadn't hit yet. The, the meteorologists were watching very closely, and you didn't have to evacuate the grounds yet. So there was uh, some uh, somewhat of an outdoor ceremony there. And I remember having left the grounds and and gone over and did a, you know, because this was obviously an international sensation. I was doing some, uh, I did a hit for CNN over at the Augusta Country Club. And it was probably an hour or so after uh, after Butler Cabin. And we were getting rocked. So the timing of that, they were able to squeeze in an outdoor ceremony. You got Butler Cabin, you got the tournament done. It was it was Augusta magic at its at its utmost right there because within an hour, the golf course was unplayable and the tournament would have been unplayable and just just another time that uh, that the golf gods smiled on us. Yes, they did. That was a, a thrilling finish two years ago. I cannot wait for another thrilling finish in April. The field is at eighty five players again, a, a maximum eighty five. There are a couple past champions that may decide not to play, but I thought we might get to 86 when uh, the guys made the turn in Phoenix on Sunday, but James Hahn couldn't bring it home to become qualifier number 86. And that was my prediction, was that we would get somebody to crack the lineup, as it were, this week and become that 86th qualifier. And uh, I thought K.H. Lee uh, had a chance at being that guy. Uh, obviously, you know, you mentioned James Hahn, who had the lead multiple times. Matthew Neesmith has got a chance, <laughs> you know, had a chance at it. Andrew Putnam was another one. Uh, but when it, when push comes to shove, you know, all the big events, all the tour events are big events, and, and Brooks Kepka is one of those guys that flourishes in big events. He does. He also is, has quite the Masters record. We we always talk about Kepka winning the two, the back-to-back U.S. Opens and the back-to-back PGA Championships for his four major victories but if you look he's started the masters five times he's made the cut all five times he finished 11th in 2017 he was injured in 18 remember he won two of the three majors he entered that year but did not play in the masters that year and then in his last two masters starts brian he's finished tied for second and tied for seventh 
Let's go back to 2019, that day you're, that you're mentioning before uh, the heavens opened up. I really thought for about 10, 20 minutes, Brooks Kepka was about to put on a green jacket before Tiger hit that shot that you called on the 16th hole. Just how close was Kepka to winning that year? He was incredibly close. It's a it's a, a very good heads up. Uh, Brooks Kepka had a chance, a, a very good chance. Francesco Molinari, obviously. Tony Finau, obviously. That that twelfth hole just took the field apart, and Brooks was one of those victims at the twelfth hole. And we talk about the golf gods. Uh, there was Tiger in his next Masters after that, making a ten on that twelfth hole. When that hole basically, you know, really eliminated several of his competitors, the the previous playing in the Masters, it was a little longer than a year ago, but but Brooks Kepka made all the sense in the world too, didn't he? He had all the momentum in the world, all all of his major championship success coming in that little three year window, and for him to be in contention all the way up until then, and then climb back into contention even after hitting into the water at number twelve, he only lost by a shot. And the last time Tiger came through and made a miraculous shot at 16, that was back in 2005 uh, against Chris DeMarco, the one that, that backed into the hole. Well, he bogeyed the next two holes and, and went into a playoff. So and I don't know whose mind that was in the back of, but it was in the back of mine as you watched Brooks and Xander continue to make their charges. And Dustin Johnson was also tied for second there. Those guys weren't out of it just because Tiger went birdie-birdie at 15 and 16. It was amazing finish two years ago, and, and just uh, Kepka right there in the mix. Wouldn't be surprised if that happens in April. Kind of came out of nowhere after three missed cuts to win in Phoenix, but now that he's got this momentum, we'll see where it, it takes him. What about Jordan Spieth, Brian, one of the most popular players to ever win the Masters? His record at Augusta National is spectacular. Four top threes in seven career starts, including the victory in 2015, so, so close to doing it again in 2016 before he had a similar fate on the 12th hole, not once, but twice. What did you make of the way he played, especially the way he putted this past weekend? Well, the putting, you just you just said it and you nailed it. The, the putting is what got, uh, I think, everybody's brains racing. You had, a, you had really a squirrely day of ball striking off the tee. Uh, it was definitely better on your approaches to the greens, but from some of the places that he had driven it, you weren't going to get it on the green or into a good place on the green, so you really had to rely on some wedges around the green and you rely on a little magical putter. And if that doesn't sound like what Masters Week is, then then you haven't been paying attention. And so that's, that's a lot. The, the motifs were the same for Jordan Spieth, and I don't think you and I were the only ones when he was making all those putts on Saturday, he may even chipped in on, on the 10th hole. He's making them from off the green. He's making them from long range on the green, two putts over 25 feet. Uh, he made over 120 feet of putts that day. My mind immediately raced to, well, if if nowhere else, that game right there that we were watching in that, that Saturday 61 is good enough for a guy that's won at Augusta National. He knows exactly where to miss it, you know, he can get away with some of that stuff, uh, especially off the tee. You know, it's a little bit more generous than than most. And if you're going to putt like that, you can get yourself out of a whole lot of trouble. And, and that, that's exactly what I was thinking watching Jordan. What about Dustin Johnson? If you go back in his last 10 starts, he has four wins if you include the Tour Championship. Um, in terms of 72-hole score, he finished third. But that's four wins if you include the Tour Championship. 
three seconds, and he also has um, he, he has he also has a sixth place finish, a twelfth place finish, and an eleventh place finish. Nothing outside the top twelve. It's his first win since winning the Masters in November, and his lead is gigantic in the official World Golf rankings. Just do you believe that DJ will be the favorite again come April? It sure does feel like it, doesn't it? And and I think it's just going to make sense when we get to the the second Sunday in April that that Dustin's going to be in the mix. And this win this past week may be the type of thing that we don't even remember. Uh, you know, we've we've got a couple of other real big events between now and then, including a Players Championship. But it all kind of makes sense. You know, this guy is the number one player in the world. He's looking like it. That was close. He won close. There were plenty of opportunities for him to not win the Saudi International, but best player in the world just went halfway across the globe and showed everybody what he's all about. And let's not overlook that because I think that win in November meant a ton to Dustin. And I think that's what we're going to find out. If he continues this momentum and you know contends or, or wins at the World Golf Championships and I uh, don't know if he's going to play it at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, but a contention or a, or a win at the Players' Championship – he's going to come in as the favorite, if not the favorite, then the co-favorite. And you got to look back at last year's Masters as really maybe a moment that turns around his entire career because the first one's tough to win. We all know that. But your second major championship is also is, is oftentimes the tougher one to win. The statistics won't say that because most people don't win one. But the guys that have won one will tell you how hard it is to win number two. And I think Dustin cleared a major hurdle with winning number two. Boy, was that the case for him? Uh, no question. Took four years to get uh, over four years to get to number two, and you referenced the emotion that poured out of him. It was so significant and special. He is the most qualified of all eighty-five current participants, as he has qualified seven different ways. That's one better than Bryson DeChambeau, who's qualified six different ways. What about those that are simply trying to qualify one way? that are at the other end of the top 50. There's a couple of guys, Brian, in the last couple of weeks that have jumped into the top 50 that weren't there at the end of the calendar year. Robert McIntyre from Scotland is now number 44 in the official World Golf Rankings. And I know there's a guy that you've been keeping your eye on that's now number 49, Will Zalatoris. This guy is uh, just continuing to play well. Uh, He's played well in qualifiers. He's played well every other start that he's gotten. And Will Zalatoris has no other way in. Was 53rd last week, up to the 49th right now. And, you know, here's the thing. The cutoff isn't still for another couple of months or a month and a half or so. Right. Uh, but there's no no reason to think that Will Zalatoris is going to back up in the World Golf Rankings right now. He is going forward. And, and you know, I think that's a, that's a great thing and a great time. And I don't know how much th- that he's thinking about this. I would sure hope that he's thinking about it a lot. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Fifth place finish and a sixth place finish in his last two starts. That's going to help you climb uh, up in the world golf rankings. You have to like his chances. Uh, I'm a little worried about Ricky Fowler. 63rd in the official world golf rankings. And we keep referencing this, Brian. 40 consecutive major starts. Seems like it's in serious jeopardy at this hour. Yeah, and I don't know how he's going to get in, Taylor, to be honest with you, because it does. the game doesn't look like it's turning around. Now, here's the good news for Ricky Fowler. We said that about two guys coming into the Waste Management Phoenix Open, 
and both of them gave us a heck of a thrill. And we've talked about both of them in, in Jordan Spieth and Brooks Kepka. And you know, Spieth had a phone call with 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 Butch Harmon, and he, we know how hard he's been working on it. Brooks's questions were about his health. And and a lot, in a lot of ways, those are even bigger questions because you don't know how his left knee is going to feel. You don't know how his left hip is going to feel. He hasn't really talked much about it. He doesn't want to make excuses. Yet they both both of those different situations cleared up. I didn't like that Ricky Fowler had been changing putters a lot. I did like that later on in the week in Phoenix, he wound up borrowing a putter from a buddy of Joe Scavron. <laughs> yes, and his caddy. That, yes, that started to work for him. And And what I liked about it was the putter looked like you know, it was an answer style putter. It was it was the type of putter that he has excelled with, and and I don't think Ricky's as far off as Jordan is or Jordan was, and as Brooks was. Brooks's health had him at the bottom of the barrel, and he's talked about it. You know, he was he was in pain. He was questioning it. There were dark times. I don't think the times are as dark for Ricky Fowler, but he's probably going to have to win. You know, he's going to have to win or rattle off a couple of top tens because you're right. There's no other way in for him. Finished second three years ago to Patrick Reed. He's had a bunch of close calls in major championships. We'll see if he's able to make it in this year. 59 days until Brian Katrick and company are calling the 2021 Masters here on Sirius XM. We'll talk to you next week, BK. Taylor, I look forward to it. Thank you, sir. Scott Michaud of Global Golf Post, who has been chronicling the Masters for decades will give his unique perspective coming up next on the Masters show. The Masters show on Sirius XM. Arnold Palmer and Bill Lane, the chairman, congratulating Gary Player. And so for the third time in history, Gary Player is the Masters champion. Another great call from Vin Scully back in 1978 when Gary Player trailed by seven shots heading into the final round but shot 64 on Sunday to win by one over Rod Funzeth. Remember him? Hubert Green and Tom Watson. It was Player's third Masters victory and ninth and final major title. That one coming at the age of 42. We mentioned it earlier that there are 59 days until the 2021 Masters. I know this because I follow Scott Michaud on social media. Scott Michaud of Global Golf Post joins us now. He a uh, longtime writer for the Augusta newspaper, the Augusta Chronicle, and, and now working for Global Golf Post. Mr. Michaud, I hope you're well. I'm doing great. How are you doing, Taylor? I am, I'm terrific. Um, I like your your little nuggets that you throw out each day about how many days there are until the Masters starts. How many options do you have for each day? Uh, because for the 59, you wrote uh, Tiger shooting 59 at Isleworth with Mark O'Meara right before the 1997 Masters, a, a story that was well chronicled for, for quite some time. How many choices did you have to use for day 59 today? Well, I'll tell you, last year when I counted down twice to when the <laughs> Masters was going to start, uh, I was really trying to adhere to try and keep numbers uh, and use whatever day was. When I, when I decided to do it in the short window between Masters this time, uh, I have not really 
been beholden to numbers all the time. If one pops up like the 59, uh, I'll use it. Uh, sometimes I'll use the year uh, of a champion and try to find some nugget from that year uh, to, to put in there. But this time I've just been trying to throw out whatever I can find that's interesting. A lot of caddy stuff uh, I've been excited to do. Yeah, I've noticed that um, about the, the caddies through the years and, and what happened in 1982 that led to players uh, able to use their own caddies. Uh, some neat stuff that you're chronicling there on your, uh, on your Facebook page. Scott, let me ask you uh, about the crowds this year at the Masters. Uh, it's well-known a few weeks ago, the club mentioned that there will be uh, limited attendance at the 2021 Masters. First and foremost, how unique did you find the 2020 Masters to be with the traveling party of five or six dozen members and guests and a few members of the media watching the conclusion of the biggest event in golf? It was extremely unique. And uh, while it, it was cool in many ways to be able to be out there and to see it from a perspective that you've never been able to watch the Masters before from on site with no ropes, uh, you could walk anywhere you wanted to do with your toes in the back of the 12th tee. That was great. But it really did miss the atmosphere uh, of having people there and the noise. When the Masters doesn't have a soundtrack, it's not the same. And, and you've been there enough to know uh, the soundtrack is important. It really is key to to the whole tournament, I think. I think the players feed off it, and the, and the, the galleries certainly do. As an example, what did you make of the, the galleries in, in Phoenix this past weekend? Subdued compared to what that event typically is, but it certainly sounded like it made a difference. It did. I mean, it was nice to see people out there again, whether or not, you know, they, they appeared to be keeping their masks on and, and taking some precautions, though they were rather close together. It was just nice hearing reactions to shots. Uh, it really makes a bigger difference than you, you think. I've enjoyed watching the golf on the television, uh, especially some courses where you get to see them in uh, different ways, Augusta and Wingfoot uh, in particular last year. Uh, but but it really is missing something without people out there, and, and I think I thought it was nice to to have that back at Phoenix. You think it'll make a difference at Augusta if they have a similar type environment? I think it will, and I think they'll have a fairly representative crowd. I don't know if you were out there for the uh, Augusta uh, National Women's Amateur final round uh, two years ago, uh, but they had about maybe a quarter to a third of a usual, typical Masters tournament uh, crowd out there. And it was it felt big. It really felt a lot bigger than I thought it would. And, and I think if they get something like that, if they even get like maybe, you know, seven to 10,000 people out there spread around, around that golf course, I think it'll make a big difference. That would be exciting to, to watch uh, with that, those kinds of galleries. You just think of what Jordan Spieth did this past Saturday, if he makes birdie putts like he made on 16 and 17 on Saturday, you'll know, hey, that was Jordan Spieth, no matter where you are on the property. Exactly. And and we won't have to worry about players uh, hearing us open the, the wrappers to potato chips or anything <laughs> on the golf course like they were complaining about last year. You know, it's funny you say that because I was eating lunch with some friends um, at, at some tables right near the first tee 
on Thursday, and Paul Casey started laughing, and he looked over and he said, guys, I, I can't believe I'm asking you to do this, but I need y'all to be quiet for a second. And it was he, he was laughing about it. like He was like, I can't believe I can hear you, but I can hear you. And uh, it really was. It's a, it was a, such a surreal environment to be there in November. So let's hope there is a little bit of a buzz come this April. The field, as we were just mentioning, Scott, earlier, is uh, set right now at, at 85 at a maximum. There could be a couple of past champions that decide not to play. A, a, a reason why it's a little smaller than usual is because three amateur events were unable to be played during the global pandemic the Asia-Pacific Amateur, the Latin American Amateur, and the U.S. Mid-Amateur all weren't played in the last calendar year. Uh, Scott, what is your thought on that? Um, should We've seen the U.S. Open uh, make some adjustments when there was a bunch of events they typically couldn't use to fill, fill the field and, and couldn't have local or sectional qualifiers. What are your thoughts on uh, no participants from, from those three amateur events that were canceled? I think uh, Augusta really has an opportunity to to maybe invite some uh, international amateurs that they wouldn't normally get to because, as you said, the field is a little bit small right now. If there's only 83 players, if uh, Trevor Himmelman and Angel Cabrera don't participate, the field's not going to get to 90 naturally through the top 50 or PGA Tour winners by the, the deadline. So they have room to play with. And with you know the record low number of amateurs they've ever had in the Masters is three. And that's all they have in the field right now. The two from the U.S. amateur, Tyler Strafacci and Ali Osborne, and Joe Long, who won the amateur championship. And so uh, they had three in 1942. They had three in 2008. And 1942 was obviously during World War II. And in 2008, Colt Nost had won the public links and U.S. amateur and then forfeited his master's spot to turn professional. So they had shortages those years. As important as the amateur is to the masters, I would not be surprised if they use their international exemption uh, to invite a couple of guys. Maybe their world number one amateur is a Japanese uh, player named Keita Nakajima. Uh, who was second in the 2018 Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship. He's the third Japanese player to rise to number one in the world. He's had a three uh, top 20 finishes on the team uh, during last fall. So this is a guy who was certainly capable uh, of being a, a, a participant and in in qualifying one day for the Masters. I would not be surprised if he got invited. And, you know, there's a the number 23-ranked uh, player in the amateur rankings is a, a mid-amateur from Ireland, uh, Keelan Rafferty. He's going to be playing in his second Walker Cup in May. Uh, that would be a great opportunity to have a, another back-to-back uh, -back international mid-amateurs in the Augusta field. And if they wanted to get somebody from Latin America as well, uh, the highest-ranked uh, Latin America player in the amateur rankings is Gabriel Morgan Birke of Chile, and he's you know finished third and fifth in the last two Latin America amateur championships. So they they have options, and I would not be surprised, uh, and if they do it, it will be soon, that they might invite an amateur or two. It's a really interesting idea, and I love the way you just um, gave some examples of, of who they could invite, especially the Japanese player that has such an, a, a great 
world ranking, the the ultimate amateur player was Bob Jones, who of course is the co-creator of Augusta National Golf Club. So you know that that's something that I'm sure he would have appreciated. And it's an interesting thought too about the the field size. Scott, what is a what is a typical Masters field? Is it in the 90s, high 80s? Are are we four or five short of where an average Masters field is? Well, it used to sort of be in the in the high 80s for a while, uh, back in the the late part uh, of of the you know 18, 1980s and 90s. But it's been up there in the 90s rather consistently. Uh, since they started changing the standards and putting the top 50 players uh, in the world and and invited the PGA Tour winners back again. So they don't want it to get to 100. That's really the, the magic number that they don't like. If they have 96, they're fine with that. 93, they're fine with that. It tends to hover upper 80s, lower 90s. That would be their ideal field. So with 83 assuming maybe we don't have two past champions uh, play or even 85, I don't think they'll get to 90 without uh, making some special invitations. Finally, you, you referenced the Augusta National Women's Amateur earlier and, and what the gallery looked like two years ago and the only event that they've had when Jennifer Cupcho held off Maria Fossey to win we're hoping, uh, of course, uh, there's the plan to have another one in 2021, the Saturday before the Masters. The date on that is the final round would be at Augusta National on April the 3rd. And then, of course, the next day, the drive, chip, and putt. In a note last month, Chairman Ridley said that he is looking forward to those two events. What kind of difference do you think that those events have made in art, well, are making in women's golf at the junior level and at the amateur level, and then also what the drive, chip, and putt has done for junior players? Well, I think it's an exciting uh, development for for growing the game of golf. That's what they've taken on as a mission here in the last couple of decades. They've really taken that responsibility at Augusta National to help get involved in having these Asian Amateur Championship and the Latin America Amateur Championship to try to, to – to foster growth in the game and those continents. Uh, And so now, you know, I think with the women's amateur, uh, they're hoping to do the same thing and, and, and and drive young, uh, young girls to, to the game of golf uh, and have something that they can aspire to as amateurs. Uh, You know, Fred Ridley was an amateur champion uh, and played in the masters himself. So this is a, a near and dear, have been very accomplished. Certainly appreciate your time tonight and, some great ideas, some interesting ideas, too, about special invitations this year. It's not known as category number 20, but I guess we could call it the 20th category. Shabankar Sharma got one a couple of years ago, the great Indian player that uh, was having a, a great run of play coming into the Masters. Maybe we'll see some amateurs get a special invitation this year. We have a couple others that could categorize could qualify by getting into the top 50 category 19 in the coming weeks. That's always fun to watch. I'm excited to wake up tomorrow and find out what happens with 58 days to go on Scott Michaud's social feed. I might, I might be excited myself. I may have to go figure that one out. <laughs> I thought this just naturally came to you. Okay. Well, the day 58 uh, tomorrow morning, we'll see what you come up with. Scott, many thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. 
No problem, Taylor. Anytime. Globalgolfpost.com. Go check out Scott's work there at Global Golf Post. It does such a great job chronicling the Masters and so detailed on the history of the event. Speaking of the history of the event, I'm going to give you an anniversary, something that happened at Augusta National in the history of the Masters and one of my favorite traditions as well when the Masters show continues on Sirius XM. The Masters Show on Sirius XM. Nicholas, this is for sole possession of the lead. Maybe. Yes, sir! It's one of the most identifiable calls in the history of golf. Vern Lundquist on the 17th hole, calling Nicholas's birdie putt that gave him the outright lead in the 1986 Masters. Now, Greg Norman caught him and was tied for the lead when Norman played the 18th hole, but it is second shot way out to the right, couldn't get up and down, and Nicholas won his sixth green jacket. Fifteen years earlier, in the 1971 Masters, 33-year-old Texan Charles Cootie won at nine under par by two shots over Jack Nicholas, and 23-year-old John Miller. Miller shot 66 on Sunday and had a two-shot lead at one point, but bogeyed two of the last three holes while Cootie made two birdies in the final four. Nicholas had the lead going into Sunday but shot 37 on the backside. For the first time since the tournament started April the 8th, it wasn't, for the first time since the tournament started, it wasn't the first major of the year as Nicholas won the PGA Championship in Florida that February as the PGA Championship did move around a few times back then before finding a a spot for decades in August and, of course, just recently moving to May. But Charles Cootie, at 33 years old, won the Masters. And it's interesting, too, because Cootie, still one of the oldest living winners of the Masters tournament, only won three times on the PGA Tour, and that was his final win on the PGA Tour. He won in Dallas seven years earlier at the Dallas Open. He won the Cleveland Open two years before that and then won the Masters. He had a couple of European Tour wins and won five times on the Senior Tour, but never won again on the PGA Tour. He would continue to play in the Masters all the way up until 2006, would play in 35 more Masters. And he still goes to the Champions Dinner each year, but that was his final win on the professional tour, making it his crowning achievement by winning the Masters. Two other postscripts about that 1971 Masters that happened 50 years ago. I want to tell you about the guy that sang the national anthem last night. Eric Church with Jasmine Kennedy. What an amazing national anthem it was. Eric is a rabid Jack Nicklaus fan. So is his father, Ken. And Eric one time was asking me about Jack Nicklaus's major championship record. And I said, all you need to do is simply look at what Jack did in the 1970s in major championships. Think of this. There were 40 of them that were played. Jack finished in the top 10 in 35 of the 40 major championships played in the 1970s. 
including a top eight finish or better in all 10 Masters in the 70s. Eighth in 1970 was his worst finish. Tied for second in this Masters we're talking about 50 years ago before winning the next year in 72. Third in 73, fourth in 74, one in 75, third, second, seventh, fourth to close out the 70s. Simply remarkable. And then there's Johnny Miller. A few years ago, our dear friend Bob Ford, the great head pro from Oakmont and Seminole, and I were eating breakfast with Johnny Miller in Palm Beach, Florida. And we were talking about his career, and he was doing a show that I'm sure my friend John Albanese produced. And Mr. Miller got emotional, talking about how he felt he should have won more major championships. Of course, he won the 1973 U.S. Open and the 1976 Open Championship, but he had so many close calls in other majors, including three second-place finishes in the Masters. And that Masters 50 years ago was the one Mr. Miller was talking about at breakfast when we talked to him that morning in Palm Springs, saying, I should have won it. I think about it all the time. Those two late bogeys in the last three holes that ultimately made him finish second and Cootie won it. I think Johnny Miller is one of the greatest players we've ever seen on the PGA Tour. Just look at how he dominated the 1970s. But those near misses in majors, especially at the Masters, still haunt him to this very day. 50 years ago, Charles Cootie won it. And he still wears his green jacket proudly at the Champions Dinner each and every year. And I know he'll do it again this April. We also like to talk about traditions on this show. And one of my favorite traditions is one of the most obvious ones, popular ones. And that is the honorary tee shots that happen that Thursday morning, which will happen this year with Lee Elder, Jack Nicklaus, and with Gary Player. One of my favorite traditions is finding the shortcut off Washington Road in order to get to Augusta National Golf Club and see that happen bright and early on that Thursday morning. That tradition of using this shortcut that an Augusta native told me about is not something I can share with you because then it wouldn't be a shortcut. I can't give it out, but I can tell you it comes in handy on that Thursday morning, especially if you want to see the legends of the game, Jack and Gary and Lee Elder, hit those honorary tee shots. Next week, we will be back with some more great guests, some more anniversaries and traditions that make the Masters so incredibly special. Thanks to Brian Katrick and Scott Michaud for joining us this week on the program. Thanks to John Albanese for producing it. I'm Taylor Zarza, reminding you whether you agree or disagree, it's all for him. 59 days until the 2021 Masters, which will be heard exclusively on Sirius XM.